This is Charisma Connection, and I'm Steve Green. Today, our show will focus a great interview with Mike Shreve. Mike's the author of 65 Promises from God for Your Child, a very powerful book, a life-changing book for parents, and most recently has just completed a new book called Powerful Prayers for Supernatural Results. We have in the studio with us now Mr. Mike Shreve and Mike. Wow, two great books. Well, these are books uh, that impacted my life as I was writing them. And if I can transfer that same kind of impact to others and awaken greater prayerfulness, but more importantly, greater effectiveness in prayer in people, then wow, it's been worth all the effort. So your writing is focused on prayer and on a prayer life mostly. The two books that I have published with Charisma have been on the theme of prayer, different aspects of it, uh, but yes, on the primary theme of prayer. So what do you see as you watch America and know what we're going through and the, the struggles and what you read the newspapers? What do you read and what do you think about the prayer life of leaders across this country? I think it's the hope of America. Political processes are good uh, if righteous people get involved in government, but they're going to fall flat and be ineffective without a base of intercession going on. Well, you're a man of prayer. How do you pray for America? I would rather pray than preach, and I've been preaching for 45 years. Where do you pastor? I pastor in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's a church called The Sanctuary, but the primary ministry role that I have fulfilled for 45 years is that of an evangelist and a missionary, and um, I've written 13 books, My goodness. and these two most recent books have been uh, the most popular, I believe, but uh, they highlight a part of my life that is very dear to me because uh, I don't like to go to the pulpit unless I've prayed at least an hour, at least, and usually more than that. And uh, a prayerless ministry is a powerless ministry. Wow. You can have all the form, all the fashion. You can have your five points on any given subject. You can have flawless choirs singing uh, right before you get up to preach. But if it's just an exposition of the Word of God, I'm not sure it's gone as far as God intended. The Word is a means to achieve an end. I think it's interesting to see that in the early church, which was a praying church, you know, 10 days praying before the power of the Holy Spirit fell, that's pretty committed prayer group. But in the beginning, the the focus, the focal point of Christianity was not a 30-minute sermon on Sunday morning. The first two sermons that are listed or related to us in the book of Acts were necessary sermons to explain a supernatural event that just happened because of prayerful apostolic leadership. And of course, the first one was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and uh, the subsequent revival of 3,000 people coming to the Lord. And somebody had to explain what was going on. So Peter inserts a sermon. And then the cripple at the gate, beautiful, jumps up leaping and praising God. And Peter has to explain how this happened, by what authority they were able to bring this man into his miracle. And so the sermon was secondary. Uh, the power that was released through their prayerfulness and through their relationship with God was primary. And I believe the church needs to get back to that, not in, in, in such a way that there's no order in our churches. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's good to have a certain order on a Sunday morning service. But I think we still need to be minded toward a visitation of God. Mm -hmm. And the more prayerful people are, the more they're going to want that and accept it when it comes. Well, back in the day, we had prayer meetings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Where did they go? 
people are not as interested in prayer now as they used to be. Uh, in fact, I've heard it said that you can, you can really tell who your true leaders are in a church by comparing the Sunday morning crowd to the Sunday night to the prayer meeting night. Sure. And usually it whittles down smaller and smaller until that prayer meeting night comes. And those are the core people in your congregation that are really committed to the vision and committed to the cause. Well, you just told our listeners that you prayed before you went into the pulpit. Do you have anyone join you in your church in your prayer time, or is this in your study? To be honest with you, I am more of a private person when it comes to prayer. My wife is more the person that oversees prayer meetings. She functions well in that. I like to get alone with God. Okay. Uh, I like to get alone with God out in the woods. Do you pray some of these prayers that we're going to talk about today? Oh, or yes. Do you pray yes, very specifically? Well, I don't uh, mimic the prayers of Moses or Jonah Why not? exactly word for word. But I do uh, approach God in a similar way. You said, why not? Because I don't want to ever get into a pattern of prayer that is predictable, that is, uh, how can I say it? It's, It's based on a personal relationship with God. Prayer, if it's mechanical, it is treating God like he's a computer, and you insert the right kind of formula and expect the right kind of output to result. Formula prayers are ineffective. Yeah, uh, because it's all relational. But Jesus and, said, pray this way, the Lord's right. Prayer. Yeah. Is it effective to pray the Lord's Prayer? I do pray the Lord's Prayer, but I, I don't pray it in a repetitious way. Now, I was raised in a church where that was the way you did it. We all were. You said it 10 or 15 times at a time, but almost (laughs) in a a mindless kind of repetition. But when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I take each statement and I ponder the beauty and the power of that statement and the depth of that statement and then use that as a springboard to be very creative in my prayer life. Our Father, you know, you're the Father of mercies. You're the you're the father of all creation, you know, and dwell on his fatherhood. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I dwell on what the kingdom is, and then I begin to pray kingdom presence into certain circumstances in my ministry, in my home, in my life personally. And so I I use it as a springboard to approach God. And and so I think it's a very good outline. It covers every—the Lord's Prayer is amazing. It covers every relationship that we experience with God. Our Father, sons and daughters to a heavenly Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, a king to his subjects. Your will be done, a master to his servants. You've prayed this a few times. (laughs) Uh, Mike, let me share this quote from the front of your books. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to keep you going. Sure. You've got so much to talk to us about. Uh, this book, as soon as I read this quote, I wanted to read it. And the quote says, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Now, just after this commercial break, I want to come back to you and I want to ask you about this quote. So we'll start right here, just after this word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Terry Law Ministries and World Compassion. Terry and his team trains and disciples new believers and a generation of new church leaders in non-Christian countries. They provide church planning and evangelism to reach and teach even those unreached nations. They distribute Bibles and other Christian literature, including the Story of Jesus booklet. Their ministries provide humanitarian support. It opens doors for ministry and spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The ministry works with the local indigenous church to empower leaders to make change in local communities. And now, to get your free copy of the Spiritual Weapons book, go to worldcompassion.tv backslash shop. Here it is again, worldcompassion.tv backslash shop. Enter coupon code CHR. Would you do that and support this great sponsor of this program? Welcome back to Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green, and in the studio with us is Mike Shreve, who's written a fascinating couple of books on powerful prayers. And just before the break, I asked him about this quote that he started his second book with, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. So I'm nosy. How many people have you taught to pray? Well, uh, I, I try to do that with everyone I come in contact with in my church, in our evangelistic meetings. Uh, I do teach on prayer. So why is prayer more important than preaching? Because, again, preaching can be informational on its first level, and, and that's good. But then when you really soak it with prayer, it becomes revelational. God takes this information, this surface information in Scripture, and uses it as a vehicle to bring revelation into people's lives. And when you back it up with prayerfulness, then the written word turns into the living word. Yes. And God begins to speak prophetically into people's lives. It's one thing to preach. It's another thing to prophesy. And prayerless preachers can preach, but they can't prophesy. And to prophesy is not just saying, thus saith the Lord, and then bringing forth a prophetic word. Sometimes if, if you follow the mind of God, which I try to do when I preach, I generally have a basic outline in mind when I go to the pulpit, but for the most part, I'm very open to whatever the Holy Spirit, well, I shouldn't say for the most part, I am always open to what the Holy Spirit directs me to say or do, even if it takes a little bit different direction. My crowd calls that a rabbit trail. <laughs> Pastor's on a rabbit trail. <laughs> Not, I think if it's really done effectively, it all meshes together sure. really effectively, sure. but I agree. I don't preach, uh, unless God led me to, I don't preach uh, in such a way that there's no relation between the subject matter that I pursue. It's usually very tightly knit together, Mm -hmm. but God does give fresh insights, fresh revelation, fresh prophetic words. Are you sometimes surprised by what God says through you? Oh, sometimes. It's amazing. I'm more profoundly impacted than the people because I think, whoa, that was a good thought. I love it when I bless me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, but it's nice when it occurs. Yeah. I want to get nosy again. I want to go back into your prayer closet and ask you very privately, when you're alone and you're praying and you have this hour-plus time before you preach, do you pray out loud or is it in your mind and in your spirit that you pray to the Lord? I pray out loud the majority of time. Alone? I do, I do pause, yes. I do pause uh, from time to time to listen because prayer is a two-way communication uh, and if That's you don't good. give God any time to talk, it's like, uh, how often do you like going out to dinner with somebody and they talk the whole time, never give you a chance to offer your opinion? And if we do that with God when we pray, that's kind of rude, don't you think? Yes. To invite God to a dinner, so to speak, where you sup together, and then you do all the talking. It's probably how my wife feels when we go out <laughs> to dinner. <laughs> I, I ask her how she feels, and then I tell her. Right? <laughs> Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, I think we're that way with God. And yet he's the king of the universe. Yes. We should be respectful that way of fellow human beings. How much more should we respect that time with the great king of all creation? Um, uh, so, uh, And then I meditate. I love to meditate on the Psalms as I pray. And I speak them out loud because I have found out when you speak the word out loud, 
you come Faith into a, a higher level of revelation. Yes. If you just read it silently, I don't get as much revelation as when I speak it out loud when I'm in the middle of praying. And then uh, God will give me profound insights into things I've never been exposed to before. That's good. So I want to take you back to your first book, and I really want to visit your new book, most of the little time we have left. But tell us just a little bit about how you began to write uh, the 65 Promises from God for Your Child, how that came through you and into this great book that's selling like crazy. Well, really, it it was a, a progression over a number of years because, first of all, my wife and I were told that we would never have any children. Uh, that it was impossible. And uh, yet when God spoke to me that it was time to marry, and I had made a covenant with him early on in my walk with God that I would not even date until he told me it was time to marry. Well, 20 years later, I was wondering if God had forgotten our covenant. But then he spoke to me, and he told me when he uh, spoke to me to marry my wife that I was going to have a son too, and he told me some things about my son. So when we were told by the doctor we would never have children, I knew that that was not correct. So we went into prayer and began to pray uh, that the God of Sarah, the God of Rachel, the God of Rebecca, the God of Hannah still lives. And, of course, my son came along, a miracle. And then when he was born, he had a very traumatic birth. Uh, He laid in the birth canal. They told us he'd be severely retarded and probably crippled. And uh, they were bracing us for raising uh, a challenged child that way. But we went into prayer. And uh, he's perfectly normal and not the least bit challenged. In fact, he's too smart (laughs) sometimes. Well, Pastor, I struggle sometimes in prayer. And my struggle is I feel like I'm repeating myself Mm -hmm. sometimes. I feel like I've prayed this to God. I've petitioned him severely about this topic or counsel me on this issue of prayer and repetition. Well, repetition is not bad as so, uh, because when my daughter, uh, we repeated something for five months over and over again. We were told we should abort her because she had spina bifida and, and uh, the doctor was, of course, a godless man. We never went back to him again. But uh, when we were coming out of his office, and I'm telling this for a reason, God spoke to my wife and said, your daughter will dance on the streets of Jerusalem. Mm. And the doctor just told us she had a hole in her spine and would never even walk. God said she'll dance. Did she dance? She does dance. She has a natural gift. and She showed a natural proclivity toward dance at an early age. And we're going to Israel next year. And I believe she'll dance on the streets of Jerusalem. Send us a video. <laughs> but we, we would confess that living word promise because when God gives a living word, you've got to— the Bible said we can fight a good warfare or war a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken over us. And when God speaks something, that doesn't mean you're uninvolved. That means you carry that word back to God in prayer and you reaffirm it with repetition. But also, my wife— felt one scripture on her heart, and it was Psalm 138, verse 8. And that is the uh, verse that says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. So she would lay her hand on her belly, and I would pray with her numerous, numerous times, every day, several times a day. And she would say, baby, you concern me. And God said, he will perfect that which concerns me. So I declare you are perfect. And we would pray that over and over again. Even though it was repetitious, we always did it with fresh fervor. If it becomes mindless repetition, it's no different than chanting a mantra. Yes. But if you make it fresh and add some 
emotion to it and add some creative ways of saying it, then, it, then it's relational. But anyway, the first word that the doctor spoke, another doctor uh, spoke when my daughter was born, was she's perfect. The very word we had claimed over her for months and months. That'll help your faith. Oh, yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. Yeah. So it was in those struggles, to answer a question you asked about 20 minutes ago, it was in those struggles, even bringing my children forth into this world, that I learned the power of claiming promises. And then when I discovered this vein of gold in God's Word, that there's 65 specific things God said He would do for our seed, then I, I started implementing uh, those promises in my prayer time and claiming those promises over my seed. And I've, Well, just to give you an example, in, in Isaiah there is a passage of Scripture where God said, I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring, and they shall spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. Well, I claimed that for my daughter for about a month when she was around five years old. I said, God, you said you would pour out your spirit on my descendants, and I'm expecting my daughter to have an encounter with yes. you. Within about four weeks of claiming this on a daily basis, I was in a meeting down in Alabama and gave an invitation, noticed my five-year-old daughter coming up with the rest, and along with 20 others, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She laid in my arms for 20 minutes, talking in tongues, just weeping, saying, Oh, God, Daddy, uh, Daddy, God filled me. Oh, God, he Amen. filled me, Daddy. He filled me. And so was that a, would that have happened without my prayerfulness? I don't think so. I, God doesn't do anything in this world except he does it through prayer. So people need to learn these 65 promises God's given your children yes. and start praying them over your children and watch dramatic results happen. You're listening to Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green, and in the studio with us is Mike Shreve, author of the book, 65 Promises from God. And just after this commercial break, we're going to come back and talk about his new book and especially take a look at something that intrigues me, The Prayer of Jonah, just after this commercial break. Come on back. This podcast is brought to you by Cora Jake's new book, Faithing It, published by Destiny Image. Cora Jakes Coleman is a daughter of Bishop T.D. Jakes and First Lady Sarita Jakes. And they share an inspirational story of spiritual growth in her forthcoming book, Faithing It, The Faith Fight to Your Purpose. It's not just about pretending away your problems. It's about facing circumstances with confidence. When you see those problems measured next to the chain-breaking, miracle-working power of God. Your storms may seem really big to you today, but God is bigger. Your season may feel dark, but God's light is shining through. Your circumstance may appear hopeless, but nothing is impossible for God. Cora Jakes Coleman will teach you how to take the very storms that try to destroy you and turn them into pathways to your divine purpose. Faithing It comes out November 17th. It's available everywhere books are sold and published by Destiny Image. Would you please support this podcast by buying this book? And thank you, Destiny Image. Welcome back to Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green, and we have in studio with us Mike Shreve. We've been talking about his first book on prayer, The 65 Promises from God for Your Child. 
Now we're going to take our last segment and discuss in some depth powerful prayers for supernatural results. So the obvious question, Mike, is why another book on prayer? I was very inspired when uh, the prayer of Jabez was highlighted around the year 2000. People got uh, very enamored with that prayer, and it was uh, powerful in its application. A lot of people felt that by praying that prayer, and it's only 32 words long, by the way, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I should not cause pain. And I think the thing that resonated with people is the next statement in the Bible, right after that prayer, is God gave him what he requested. As simple as that. He Formula. Didn't, yeah, he didn't go into an all-night prayer meeting. He didn't fast 40 days. God gave him what he requested. And uh, I thought if that prayer resonated so much with the body of Christ uh, that it became widespread in its application to people's lives. People were claiming it. Well, because he got stuff. Right, right, right. People pray to get stuff, right? Yeah, right. But if we are not told, though, that that prayer resulted in any kind of supernatural manifestation. Amen. We're not told that God manifested himself in any kind of miraculous way as a result of this prayer. It may have all been natural things that transpired as a result. So I thought if that prayer should occupy our attention the way it did, when there was no marked supernatural response from God, how much more should we focus our attention on those prayers that did get a supernatural response from God? And about 650 prayers are listed in the Bible and about 450 answers. Uh, So about uh, around two-thirds of the prayers that have been highlighted in Scripture also have an answer recorded. Uh, That's really encouraging. I like that that ratio. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. Uh, But I picked out over a period of two years, I I studied and pondered the theme of this book, but I picked out the 10 most powerful prayers, the, the prayers I consider to be the most powerful prayers because of the supernatural response that came from God. And then I broke down these prayers into their elements. I call them PowerPoints, certain ways that these individuals, like Elijah, like— Share one with us right uh, off the top from either maybe Moses or Solomon or Elijah. Which uh, which one's your favorite? Since I mentioned Elijah, that would be a good one. Elijah, of course, confronted the 850 false prophets. And one of the main things he did when he uh, approached God is he reminded God— that God, first of all, had history with Israel. He approached God by saying, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. So two things right now. He says you have a history of the way you've dealt with people. You dealt with Abraham's impotence and Sarah's barrenness, and you produced life out of death. Uh, You're the God of Isaac, which was a God who orchestrated uh, a plan for his life, where Rebekah came into the picture. He's the God of Jacob, who was changed from being a deceitful person, self-centered person, to Israel, Mm -hmm. one who rules with God. So he's saying, you're the same God that involves yourself supernaturally in people's lives. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. So this is not about me, Elijah is saying, this is about you, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. 
And so he's reminding God, you spoke this to me to confront these false prophets and to put the test out there. Let the God that be God answer by fire. And then he said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are Yahweh Elohim. You are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So again, it's not about me, it's about them. And he, and he focuses God's attention on the revival that needs to happen, not just on Elijah's personal desires being met. And then the fire of God fell from heaven. And so what I uh, urge people to do is to approach God in a similar way. First of all, if you have living word communications from God where God's given you a vision or a dream or you've heard his audible voice concerning a promise that has not yet come to pass, contend for that promise because sometimes prophetic words must be contended for in order for the opposition satanically to be pushed back and the word to be released into manifestation. And so it's very important to bring that word to God and to lay claim to it and confess it until God breaks through the barriers. Well, somebody may say, well, I don't have a vision. I haven't had a dream from God. Well, I I haven't heard his audible voice. You've still got the written word, and you've got 7,487 promises in God's written word, and you can lay claim to any of them. Maybe you don't have a living word expression, but you can say, God, you said this in your word, and I believe you're going to bring it to pass. And so praying the word is the lesson we learn with Elijah. Is that good advice for a young Christian to just pray the Word? Absolutely. learning how to pray? Don't pray with your emotions. Don't try to become convinced God's going to work in your behalf because you feel good. Because I don't feel good all the time, but I pray my way through it by quoting the Word, and the Word word lifts me to a place of constancy and steadfastness, even through the ups and downs of life. So let's talk. Just before the break, I promised our listeners the prayer of Jonah. Oh, I love that one. Share that with us. I'm intrigued by it. Well, I was I was blown away by the prayer of Jonah when I started studying it. It's, it's contained in the second chapter of Jonah, which is 10 verses long. And eight verses of that chapter highlight this prayer that Jonah prayed out of the belly of the great fish or the whale, whichever it was. It may have been a great fish, may have been a, a whale. Uh, I don't know. All I know is the man got a response from God. But strangely, of those eight verses, the majority of them are actually thanking God for a previous miracle that was worked. And if you read it carefully, you'll see that Jonah, uh, well, I'll just start reading. He says in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. So he's not asking God to answer a prayer. He's thanking God for a previous answer. And uh, he said, I cried out unto the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And uh, out of the belly of hell I cried, the Mm. King James Version says. The New King James says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet will I look again towards your holy temple. Then later on in the prayer, he said, The earth with her bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. So most of your major and most respected commentators agree that Jonah apparently died when he was thrown overboard. You never learned this in your Sunday school as a kid. Um, But he apparently died. His soul went down into Sheol. At that time, there were two chambers in that area, in that subterranean area, a chamber for the wicked, an impassable gulf, 
and the chamber for the righteous called Abraham's bosom. Well, I tend to believe that he went to the realm of the unrighteous. And usually when a person dies and goes to hell, there's no second chance. I know a couple of people personally that died and experienced hell, and God gave them a second chance. So it's the exception to the rule. And thankfully, in Jonah's case, God uh, um, broke the normal way of of the way things happen for him because he delivered him from that uh, condition where his soul was in a hellish condition, and he came back awake inside of the belly of this great fish. Now, uh, I'm asking you that are listening, if you came out of a death state and you look up at a rib cage, are you not going to start praying, oh, God, deliver me from this place. These digestive juices are dripping on me. This is horrible. I'm in the belly of a fish. What am I doing here? He never even mentioned that. His whole prayer, he was thanking God for delivering him from hell. And the point I like to bring out is he didn't have complete deliverance yet. He needed to be delivered from the belly of the great fish, but he never asked God to do that. He just made a threefold commitment. He said, I will sacrifice unto God with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And when he made that threefold confession, the fish vomited him up on dry ground. Amen. You've been listening to Charisma Connection. We've been with uh, Mike Shreve. And Mike, we can't end this podcast about prayer without prayer. We have a lot of folks listening to us that would like to have a prayer life. Would you just pray that God will teach us to pray the way we've asked, well, the disciples asked Jesus to teach. But in your way, as a pastor, as an evangelist, would you uh, impart something to us that will help us in our prayer life? Well, absolutely. Let's take the example of Elijah and the example of Jonah. Elijah prayed by claiming the word, and Jonah thanked God for less than enough, and God gave him more than enough. Yes. He thanked God for what God had already done, and God did even greater things for him, including an entire Gentile city in revival. And so let's approach God those two ways. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of coming boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And this is a needy time in our nation and in our world. And we claim your promises. Uh, we claim the promise, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, where you said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Our land needs to be healed of the attack on our culture yes. uh, and, and of the infiltration of evil and immorality that is becoming more and more uh, rampant and outlandish from day to day. And we lift up our faith against that, and we claim God's strategy for this time being released against the enemy. And we claim that promise of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that you will hear from heaven and that you will heal our land of its immorality, of its rebellion, of its uh, pluralism, where they've denied yes. you, the only Lord God. Thank you for bringing forth such revival that there will be a renewed understanding of the exclusive 
exclusivity of Christianity, that Jesus, you are the only way. And not only that, we use the approach that Jonah did, and we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the first great awakening that brought such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our nation. We thank you for the second great awakening that brought our nation back to God and and reclaimed us when gold lust and land lust was taking hold of the, uh, the nation in that day. And the God that did it once, the God that did it twice, I believe can do it again. And so we thank you for the way that you built a foundation of Christianity in our nation from the very beginning. How that you uh, used the Congress, the first act of Congress was to purchase Bibles and distribute them through the colonies. Lord, thank you for that. And thank you for returning us to that again, where there will be a dominant biblical mindset in the leadership of our nation. We claim revival in Jesus' name, and we believe you're going to bring it to pass in the mighty name of Jesus. Yes, we believe it's going to come to pass. The book is Powerful Prayers for Supernatural Results. We've been listening and visiting with Mike Shreve. And Mike, one last question. Where can we find your book? Well, you can certainly find it on the Charisma website. You can find it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can go to my website, ShreveMinistries.org. Spell your your website out for us. That's S-H-R-E-V-E. S-H-R-E-V-E and then ministries, plural, shreveministries.org. Then you can find your book. Yes, absolutely. This is Charisma Connection with Steve Green. God bless you for listening, and we hope to see you on another podcast. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.